Well, howdy, y'all. This episode is brought to you by River Dog Bakery. Go see our friends down at River Dog. Uh, River Dog's high-quality, fresh-baked dog treats contain human food-grade, all-natural ingredients. River Dog's number one goal is to provide nutritious and delicious treats for your dog. River Dog makes and bakes all of their fresh treats on-site in the River Dog kitchen, so they're fresh, baked right there in the building. They don't use additives, preservatives, artificial colorings, or flavors. So show your little furry friend how much you love them and treat them to something a little special from River Dog Bakery. Go see their storefront in Knoxville right across the street from Homburg Place. Say hi to Pam and Brian. Tell them South of Scruffy sent you. Better yet, tell them little Bonnie Field sent you. She loves her stuff. You can also go to riverdogbakery.com and place an order. You get free shipping on orders over $50 there. River Dog Bakery, it's where your best friends go for treats. This episode is also brought to you by Cosmetic. Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream helps ease aches, pains, inflammation, and arthritis via their proprietary CBD-infused skincare solution. Each bottle of Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream is infused with 400 milligrams of their patented CBD solution. Be kind to your skin and go to Cosmedicated.com. That's C-A-U-S-E, Medicated.com, and use promo code SOS20 at checkout for 20% off of your entire order. That's SOS20, get 20% off all of it. Do it. All right, guys, showtime. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I am Ben Fields. This is my podcast. Thank you for being here. We have a guitar wizard alert. I've got Andy Wood on the show today. Andy is a Jedi with an electric guitar. And I've known about Andy for a while, but for some reason, I thought he was a bluegrass mandolin guy for some reason. And he still is a freak on the mandolin uh, still to this day. But his YouTube channel, Andy Wood Music, and his show that he does on there, The Woodshed, it's Andy Wood Music on YouTube. Uh, it, that's a place where he teaches some super cool techniques and approaches to guitar players. And uh, Andy's toured as a member of Rascal Flatts touring band. He's played with Sammy Bush and so many other folks that you guys know. And he's a world-class guitar player, no matter how you slice it. He just is. And his uh, his YouTube subscribers, of which he has over 20,000 of, are on YouTube going absolutely gaga over this dude's instructional stuff. And uh, on top of all that, he's just an amazingly kind, nice dude. He, uh, he and producer Sam... Got to talk and shop before the podcast started. And uh, I ch- I mean, I just about let Sam conduct the interview because I'm standing there in between Sam, a Grammy winning recording engineer and producer, and uh, one of Planet Earth's best guitarists in Andy Wood. And the stuff they're talking about had me feeling like I was going to be in the deep end talking to Andy about music. But the thing about Andy is he has such a good way of bringing it back to the fundamentals and speaking to music and his playing and his experiences in a way that's pretty easily universally understood. Uh, But the day Andy came over, I was supposed to have another guest on right before Andy got here. And that guest texted me that morning and said, you know, I'm not feeling great. I was around some people this weekend. I really didn't know. Uh, It's probably not COVID, but let's be safe. I said, totally cool. No problem. I know that that happens and sometimes people need to reschedule for one reason or another. It actually happens a lot less than you would think, but 
Uh, I'm glad that this person in particular did err on the side of caution because they messaged me today and said that they indeed have tested positive for COVID and we need to reschedule for a couple weeks down the road. It, that is just a, a great reminder that exercising just the tiniest bit of caution can make a really big difference. So I'm, I'm going to do that and I hope we all do and uh, get this thing tamped down so we can get back to business as usual-ish. Even if that guest had come over here in the shop, we're six feet apart, we're separated by plexiglass, which you can see in the YouTube videos that me and Sam have been putting up lately. We've been trying to do as many of those video podcasts as possible. So check those out on YouTube, uh, South of Scruffy on YouTube. Fun way to experience the podcast. And it's helping us kind of get out in front of a brand new audience, which is cool. But uh, check out Andy's latest solo album, Junk Town. It's an amazing work that is now in super heavy rotation at my house. It's fantastic. Let's do it. Let's talk to Andy Wood. We're doing the pop Check level. Oh, how 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 we doing, Sam? How we looking? I did it. Do I still look like myself? You said you were gonna wear your nice black T-shirt. That one yeah. looks nice, or yeah. your clean one. That's what yeah. you said. My uh. An ex-girlfriend said, "You wake up at the crack of noon every day and try to decide what color, what kind, what teach black T-shirt you're gonna wear. <laughs> Play guitar with your stupid friends. Man, they, that's why uh, that's why uh, Steve Jobs and Zuckerberg they all wear the same thing every day, so they don't have to like put any brain <laughs> cycles towards getting dressed. Yeah, yeah. That's what you do with the black T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, that and they're cheap. <laughs> They look good with every guitar. Yeah. Doesn't matter what color your guitar is. <laughs> true. My t-shirt always looks good. Dude, I feel like Sam should be the one sitting in this chair over here. You guys speak the same language, man, with the music stuff. Just just dork language. I love it. It's like immediately everybody's like, hey, are those the six six hundreds? Yeah. Oh man, that's great. <laughs> I'm using the M4s. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> it's like hanging out at a Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Magic the Gathering. <laughs> yeah, deal. yeah, exactly. But that's a that I've been digging into your YouTube channel, and that's something that really that I like that impressed me a lot, and I gravitated towards. Is like you're obviously this huge bank of knowledge, but you have a really good way of making the layperson understand it. It seems like to me, anyway. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think that comes from the way that I learned music and the way that I was around music. Really? Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My granddad got me started. Mm. And so, you know, when my cousin is a fiddle player, we're the same age, and my granddad had no boys, and then two of his daughters had two sons. Ah. So when they turned, when me and Brian turned five, six years old. You were the boys he never had? <laughs> yeah, instruments in the hands. And so, long story short, we sat on the front porch, and my granddad didn't have, you know, theory knowledge or anything like that. Mm. Any chord that wasn't a one, four or five chord was considered the off chord. Gotcha. So that could have been literally any other chord in, in the in Western harmony. But I think it was the way that I learned that and the way that like I was always around music made me think about it. Um, especially when I became, you know, my career started getting successful and people started asking me questions. I would I, it would take me a second to like reverse engineer how exactly I'm thinking about mm. it. And so maybe that is maybe that's a reason that some folks can can steal a lick or two from my channel, you know, yeah. or, or or recording knowledge or whatever. I, I do you know Gary Vaynerchuk? Have you heard that name? Yeah, before? Gary V. Gary V. S- subscribe to him, man. Love yeah, him. he's pretty. He's got some pretty some pretty amazing ideas and theories and all that. But um, y- your 
what I've seen on your on your YouTube channel from talking to you before we started, uh, really to me exemplifies one of his things, which is you're not just uh, a musician; you're now a content creator. Oh, <laughs> first, I mean, and then <laughs> it's funny because that that, that term. Um, I'm a huge. I think you need to know this, and I think our viewers need to know this. I, I'm a huge video gamer, mm. so a lot of that culture ends up being about four to five years ahead of every other form of pop culture. Mm. Right. So like they were doing quote unquote content creation a day, almost a decade ago. What do you mean? What kind of stuff? Like when, when the YouTube channels first came out and, and things just started getting at the point where people could go by an interface at home Mm -hmm. and and, and a webcam, when that technology started becoming Mm. um, financially available for the average person, Gamers started doing it. Gamers really latched on to it. And Twitch originally, if I'm not mistaken, Twitch originally wasn't meant for video games. It was just a way for anyone to stream. And it still is. Like, you can get on there and talk about whatever you want. Right. But... It's 95% gamers. Like they, they, yeah. Minecraft was the big one to start with. Right. Oh gosh. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's Minecraft, it's destiny, it's Fortnite. It's, I mean, any game that's, that's a game, you know, it's like, uh, so anyways, that, that content creation term kind of always made my ears (laughs) like, you know, when a dog looks at a ceiling fan and it's like, what, what, (laughs) that's how I feel when I, when I was hearing that, because in reality, you know, content creation has been around since people been making records. Steven Spielberg is technically a content creator. Sure. It's just his content is way better than everybody else. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, and he doesn't have to make as much of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like that, that term, when, when people started throwing that around, I was like, they're like, Oh, have you ever thought about content creation? I've been like, well, I've been making albums for years. So yes, I, I have thought about that. Ironically, <laughs> I've actually been doing it, but it's the, it's the way that that label has got latched onto things like podcasts, vid- video casts, mm-hmm. you know, streams and stuff like that. So I guess that caveat has always been like, I've, I've already been doing this, right. <laughs> but it's just in a different format. Yeah. And you're having, but you're making a, you know, you've got your Patreon thing where you're doing a different thing than you're doing on YouTube, right? Yeah. And a little I, bit. And because I'm a gamer, I just started my Twitch channel last week. Nice. So I figured I'm going to be on there playing whatever game I'm playing at the time. Might as well bring in the community and and hang out but yeah yeah, it's like so i do youtube which is different from making an album which is different from what i do on patreon you know which is different from what i offer on my website you Mm. know it's really just making anything um that i'm involved with more of a communal kind of thing like a tribal kind of thing you know what i mean it's Uh like hey anybody that's interested in what i do you saw some clip on youtube i want to make it real easy for you to get tons more you know and if you don't like it and you're a troll cool Keep rolling. <laughs> you know, it's like the, I'm, my channel's not for you. you know? well, how did you grow it? Did, did you use quarantine to to dig into to the, to um, the uh, YouTube stuff? Yeah. So I had been uh, fortunate in that I was transitioning from this is probably 2018, 19. I had a very successful run uh, as a hired gun for other big artists. Mm. And uh, from there, I had made my most recent solo record, which is called junk town and junk town was really well received from the guitar community. Mm. And so at that point I just started, I was already doing stuff for all the companies that I work for like video content, right? I was doing videos for sir or, 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 or whatever manufacturer at the time. And so I was like, well, I should just, you know, 
put something up on my channel. You know, I had, you know, a couple hundred subscribers on YouTube. I was like, I'll just put something up. And then I was like, I was talking to my friend Ben Eller and he has a very successful YouTube channel. He's like, man, just try it out for a year. I had no idea that that year was going to be 2020. Yeah. So I started my channel technically in January. It would have been this time last year um, before we had any idea of Cove and all that stuff um, because Nam was coming up and I had some signature products coming out and stuff and I had shows. So Is I was Nam like, a trade show? Yeah, it's a trade show for musicians okay. and uh, it's in Anaheim and it's, you know, a couple hundred thousand people go wow. to this thing. It's a, it's a huge event. Anyways, I was out there and I was doing shows, whatever out there. And I was like, I'm going to start now, you know, and just document some of my antics at Nam, And then next thing you know, we're all in lockdown and I'd already had a little bit of a head start. Now, I think it's also worth noting this wasn't just because I had some magic formula to getting this stuff to work. I had a lot of content on YouTube that was on everybody else's channels. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So did you aggregate all that and get it all no, to back no, together? No, no, because a lot of it was like people at my shows with a cell phone camera. Uh, and like and something else might be for Guitar World magazine or yeah. something else might be over here for Sir or whatever. And I think having, you know, my name already being in that YouTube loop, yeah. algor algorithm loop, uh, when I started making stuff, it was, gave me a little bit of an advantage of, uh, there was a repository there of your, of your stuff already bingo. that led them to your channel bingo. ultimately. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. People were already looking for my stuff. You know? Yeah. I don't know why, but I, I thought that you, I thought you were a bluegrass guy or played like the mandolin or something I, well my main instrument is the mandolin is it really yeah i grew up playing that's the granddad thing my main instrument yeah is the so mandolin. where'd that where'd all that come from did you grow up here i grew up in western north carolina okay. but i moved to east tennessee when i was 15 where in western north carolina like over towards Asheville. okay it's like this the same thing is here just like 90 miles the other way you know what gotcha. i mean it's yeah. like across the state line yeah yeah um anyways my granddad Got us playing fiddle tunes and Kenny Baker and Bill Monroe and all this stuff. And when I was about 16 years old, I'd bought a Mark O'Connor record because if you're in bluegrass, that's like, you know, he not only is Mark great, but he had Jerry Douglas and Sam Bush, Bailiff, like all these guys. So I was buying records, you know, to learn. And I'd got the new Nashville Cats and there was a guy, there was a, a song called Pick It Apart and the guitarist name was Brent Mason and that solo changed my life in a lot of ways because at that point I pulled out my electric guitar that I'd never played and was like, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And at that point, the Brent Mason thing led, led to the Eric Johnson led to the Eddie Van Halen led to, you know, all, that, all the, the floodgates were open sure. at that point. So yeah, it's like I have a career as an electric guitar player and people think it's electric guitar, but I didn't really take electric guitar serious till I was 17 or 18 years really? old. Yeah. And you said your cousin's a fiddle player? Yeah. So did did your granddad play the guitar? You played the mandolin and yeah. your cousin played the fiddle and you guys had a little bluegrass trio going? <laughs> That's it. And <laughs> and we all three could kind of play. We would swap the instruments. Cool. So I would play guitar, rhythm guitar for my cousin and my granddad while they would do twin fiddles. Things mm. like that. My cousin would play rhythm guitar for me if I wanted to play. That's yeah. awesome. So we had that thing built in and uh, my granddad's still alive. He still plays. No my way. My cousin plays. He's had a very successful career as fiddle player for Travis Tripp for 12 years now. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, we were very, very lucky to uh, come up in that kind of musical family and then even more fortunate that both of our careers did well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when did you move here? 
I was, it was the summer of my sophomore year of high school. Okay. So it was a that, tough time to move. Yes. But <laughs> new friend group, but uh, I had job opportunities in high school to play in the theaters in Pigeon Forge. Oh, nice. Is that where that, so, so were you playing bluegrass music at the Dixie Stampede or the, I, it's funny you say that, but yes, I, pl- <laughs> I, I worked in the open, I worked in the opening show of Dixie Stampede. I worked for Billy Baker at the old Smoky hoedown. I subbed some at country tonight. Um, you know, just kind of all, all of those theaters and, and places I'd, I'd, I'd always done, done work. And it was cool. My high school principal knew that as we got closer to summer, there would be matinees. So they'd let me leave early to go do those, those guys. And, and, That's awesome. and, and because of that, at the old Smoky Hoedown, there was a guy named Jimmy Green. Jimmy Green uh, was a guitar player. I was only playing acoustic guitar and mandolin. And he was like, oh, man, your right-hand technique's amazing. I bet you listen to a lot of Paul Gilbert. And I was like, I don't even know who that is. He's like, Steve Morris. I was like, no clue. <laughs> Eric Johnson, no idea. So he made me a mixtape that had everything that I should know that yeah. I'd never heard because uh-huh. I wasn't into electric guitar. Right. And on that mixtape was, you know, Eddie Van Halen's eruption, Cliffs of Dover. It, like, it was like the, it had everything on it. It's Steve Morse's high tension wires, all that stuff. He was just like here. And so at that point I was like, how are these, what is this witchcraft? How do you do it? You know, <laughs> what is this sorcery? How do I get involved myself? <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, it was a snowball for yeah, sure. I, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people who cross over different genres of music, but I, I can't think of a lot of, you know, bluegrass guys that like to shred like at Eddie Van Halen. When I think about it, I don't, I, I just, that's not on my radar. So when I, when I saw you playing the electric guitar on your YouTube channel, I was like, wait, this can't, this is the wrong guy here. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking of a bluegrass guy, Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's interesting. Like I would think that the dexterity that you have to, on the, on the little small mandolin, you know, small fretboard, everything's in a, in a little, you know, compressed case it seems like when you expand that to an electric guitar fretboard, some of it would, would cross over. It's not like it's all for not learning to play the mandolin. Yeah. It's twofold, right? I mentioned in passing that I play rhythm guitar for my granddad and my yeah. cousin. So I only knew the cowboy chords way down here, Yeah, but I didn't realize how much that was just helping me fundamentally foundation rhythm, mm. strong rhythm, yeah. strong, you know, so like that was laying the groundwork, excuse me. And the mandolin thing, um, and the acoustic guitar thing are super fundamental to my right hand technique on electric, which is what most people ask me about. And it's because on mandolin, you have no sustain. Mm. So you only get maybe one note in a pull off. Yeah. You don't get, you can't do like a violin player, for right. instance, and play all these notes. Can't do like electric guitar player, like Steve Vai and just hit one note and then walk it down. Right. So I had to pick everything. So that transitioned mm. to, to guys on electric guitar that literally picked every note. Steve yeah. Morse, you know, Air Johnson, the guys that picked a lot, um, their music made a lot of sense to me. Like when I heard Cliffs of Dover, it's not that far away from a fiddle tune, mm. you know, just take that main melody and it's not that far away from something like Red Haired Boy, you know? Yeah. And that's really not that far away from Mozart's Marriage Figaro, really. When you think about the, like that's all in the same kind of wheelhouse, you know? It's it's fun to watch to watch those guys play the same song in like ten different genres. genres. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how how close it is. How yeah, close yeah. you know. A lot of it's in delivery. You know, it's yeah. and, and I use this in my uh, instructional videos a lot. I'll say you know, it's the way a guy from Scotland, a guy from Australia, and a guy from East Tennessee all speak English, mm-hmm. but it's not the same. Right. 
right? So that kind of delivery is what gives players like a perceived sense of versatility. I get it. To the listener. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's only 12 notes. Right. You got to remember, there's only 12. Right. <laughs> so you got to find a dialect. Yeah, yeah. A tool and a it, dialect yeah. to use. And the accent and the delivery, you know, it's like the same kind of uh, scale that would be used in uh, a, a Roy Nichols solo on a Merle Haggard record isn't that far from Stevie Ray Vaughan's Texas Flood. Mm-hmm. And that's not that far from Steve Morse's Stress Fest, you know, so on and so forth. It's amazing to think about. There's only 12 notes. Yeah. <laughs> in in Western music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was the first, so you said you got a pro gig when you were 16 or 17 years old. Working 16. At, yeah. 16. Was your first paying music gig? Yeah. And yeah. then was it pretty clear then that you were going to go into music? Were you like all in on music at that point? As a career? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I was doing it because I was making great money to be in high school. Yeah. And when you're in high school, you have no overhead. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy this car and do all this stuff to it. And like uh, the reality was it was really that falling in love with the electric guitar that made me shelf the idea of anything else. And that all came from the mixtape? Yeah. I mean, you know, my family, of course, had always you know, musicians were always talked about in the house, but uh, it's when I really got to studying and taking in that love for guys like Brent Mason and Dan Huff and Landau. Like when I fell in love with their playing internally, that's what changed my life because I'd heard those names a lot right. in my house. You know, I was just like, ah, cool, whatever. And then like when it, when it clicked for me, that's when I was like, well, I'm just going to do this and see how far it'll go. Well, it that's been going on for 20 years now. Yeah, it's gone pretty good. What's interesting is it takes, you know, there's so many bands out there struggling to make it happen and struggling to get a paying gig. And, you know, it seems like it's obvious you had some talent from a very early age and you've been able to sustain that for, for quite some time. And I think it's probably, I mean, it's obviously because of your chops and because of, of merit and all that, but um, are you pretty, pretty grateful that it's been able to. Oh, it's an understatement of the century. Yeah. Like that, like. I mean, I can think of four, three or four great moments where it's just like, I can't believe this is really happening. Mm -hmm. One was when I won the Guitar Center thing and was able to get my granddad a $10,000 Martin. That's what I did with the prize money. No way. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so so what's the, what do you, when you say you won the Guitar uh, Center thing? There there was a a competition that used to be held through Guitar Center. Uh, So you get, to know that guitar centers changed hands multiple times, uh, but when they first started out, they were holding this this big contest, and it was nationwide. Uh, and my buddies entered me on a joke, and there's like 3,400 contestants. They across signed the you up yeah, just as a, to as rib a you. They're like, Andy's the best; he'll win. Yeah, yeah. it's like, rah, you know, <laughs> stupid, just being stupid, you know. And so uh, they they entered me and. I went in and it was a tiered contest that lasted over the course of three or four months, right? It started on your store. And then if you scored high enough, you went to your region, then you went to the finals, whatever. So over the course of the competition, they give you, you know, as you win, you're getting free guitars and pedals and amps and stuff. And at the end there was, you know, a big prize. It was held in Las Vegas, the finals where it was me and seven other contestants. And we, the, the competition, 
was uh, the opening act for Cheap Trick <laughs> at the House of Blues in Vegas. Have you ever been Ooh, to the House awesome. of Blues? I have. Yeah, it's very at cool. Mandalay Bay? Yeah, that's yeah. it. So yeah. that was the the final thing. And I, I couldn't believe that I won when that happened. Like I, and of course, there was a time change. I called my granddad, called my mom and dad. And I was like, oh, I won. It's so crazy. You know, they're like, so, it's two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> So, uh, and my granddad wasn't even really familiar with the competition. He's like, so what happened now? You know, it's like, anyways, long story short, I took the prize money and I bought my granddad a D45. That's amazing. And not, and when Guitar Center had told Martin what I was doing, Martin actually sold me the D45 that's the catalog from that year. No way. And so it has the CF Martin down at the 12th Fred and, and like, it's this kind of, it shouldn't have been $10,000. It should have been a lot more. Yeah. But they- they liked the story. That's a they, great story. It, yeah. So, so that's one of those moments. Another moment is with my granddad, of course. And, uh, that was my mom and my grandparents came to the Grand Ole Opry the first time I was playing it. Mm-hmm. And so seeing my granddad stand where Hank Williams stood yeah, was, was amazing. Who were you, you know? playing with? Rascal Flats. Okay. Yeah. I was playing with those guys and that was a great moment. And since then, you know, I think I'm going to scope out and just say a great moment has been having Brent Mason's letter that I wrote to him. And he wrote me back when I was a 16 year old kid. And then this past year doing a gig with Brent and meeting him and some of that stuff. (laughs) It's just like, and and becoming friends with guys that I've looked up to for a long time, guys like Andy Timmons, guys like, uh, you know, Joe Bonamassa and Paul Gilbert. And it's like, it's still, there's always still this weird, like, I can't believe these guys are my buddies. Like when, you know, you're texting and, and, and talking guitar, calling each other, whatever. So like, that's, that's been one of those moments that's like, man, I would have never thought that I would have been able just to pick up the text and be like, Hey, AT, what Octopus were you using? And him hit me back. You know, it's like, so like, that's been, that's been that other kind of like, I can't believe this is real. Like to watch Brent Mason ask me what amp I was playing through. And he was like, Hey man, I think I'd like to get one. Could you connect me? And I was like, your heroes aren't supposed to buy your gear. You're supposed to buy your heroes gear, you know? So that, that was definitely the, the, those kind of things have become, I don't like to say normal, but it's like every night after those types of gigs mm-hmm. are those moments of gratitude where it's like, I can't believe that this happened today. You know? Do you remember your first moment where you kind of got, I don't know if it was starstruck or if you're like, I, I'm playing in the same, you know, sandboxes this guy who I've idolized and looked up to. Yeah. There's been a couple where it's like been okay. Mentally like what now? Like, so I can't remember the first one. Um, obviously, uh, you know, those, those rascal flats gigs were pretty, pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, we were doing a run in Vegas that kicked off the, the situation and, and and to be honest, it was kind of funny because I got thrown to the wolves in a lot of ways <laughs> in that when that gig came about, they had been previously been playing with the same band, you know, for 12 years, 13 years. So I came in and you, to for the listeners that don't understand, Rascal Flats records are very in depth. Most pop country records are in that they'll have, you know, seven or eight different guitar parts on them. Mm. So I didn't realize that. Jodon liked to play maybe this part for a cup for the 
first and then he'll switch to another guitar part for the chorus. So he's not playing the same guitars part the whole time. And that Ooh. makes sense because he's the lead guy, mm -hmm. you know, like one of the lead guys. So when I went into learning, I was like, which guitar, like, what am I supposed to learn? You know, stop changing. <laughs> yeah. So, so the reality was, um, they had worked with the same guys so long they had their formula. So right. when me and the other new guy came in, it was definitely like, you know, drinking from the fire hose of information. You right. know, you're just like, I don't know what to do. Long story short, we get off and running and we're in Vegas. And uh, one night Vince Neal comes and he wants to get on stage and sing Kickstart My Heart. And they look over to me and they're like, Wood, do you know this? I was like, I absolutely know this. <laughs> And I'm ready. Put me in coach <laughs> right now. So I got to do the, the big, I got to yeah. do the really cool, uh, kickstart my heart with Vince Neal. And it was unbelievable. So that, you know, and then throughout that tour, guys like Steven Tyler would come to gigs, Brian McKnight or whatever. So mm. it was like, that's when I was like, this is just another level, you know? And then when it got personal for me was when, um, there was a moment here in Knoxville that I have to, uh, you know, going to stay with me forever. Sam Bush was playing the Bijou and as obviously being a bluegrass mandolin player as a kid, that, that was my idol. Sure. Like I, 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 long before the electric guitar was even a thing, I was too busy trying to become Sam, Sam Bush, Bush if I could, you know? So, uh, and I'd seen Sam countless times. I don't even know how many times I've seen him, but, uh, his bass player played with me when I did my show at the Bijou and we filmed it and he was working on that set and Sam goes, man, who is that guy? Todd's like, ah, oh, it's Andy Wood. You know, I was like, he plays mandolin, plays electric guitar and all stuff. Sam's like, ah, oh, it's so cool. Sam comes to the Bijou in Knoxville and I was there and he's like, bring your mandolin. And he called me on stage. I got to play nine pound hammer with Sam at the Bijou. And I was like, did you really? I was like, he looks at me and he's like smiling and nodding and doing his thing and he's into it. And I was just like, what is, what is happening? You know? So that was, that was super, super amazing. That was one of those moments. It's just like, what? Sammy Bush is a pro, man. He's the best. Yeah. He's the best. And if anybody watches my channel, any of my content, I always start with the sentence, hello, music lovers. Mm -hmm. And I, that's an homage to Sam because that's what Sam says at his shows. Really? Yeah. And I was like, if anybody knows, I hope they know that this is a tip of the hat, you know, uh, and a little subtle kind little of Easter like, egg. Yeah. A little subtle Easter egg for, you know, the, my earliest, my earliest mm. hero, you know. Was he in John, John Hartford's band? I, it, they were all so intertwined. I, it depends on which record you're looking at. I, Maybe I, airplane or area plane or something like that. So that era, especially live with the Telluride and all that stuff, it's like they were, I can't remember who officially was members of what, mm -hmm. um, because everybody was playing on each other's stuff. It's like Jerry Douglas was never in Newgrass Revival. Really? But he played in, with Newgrass all the time. Like mm. Newgrass Revival was technically, if I'm not mistaken, Pat Flynn, Sam Bush, Bela Fleck, John Cowan. Mm. And so then everybody else, like Tony Rice might play with them tonight or like Jerry Douglas is playing yeah. with them. You know, it's like, so you never know what that kind of thing would evolve into. So, What do you think of Billy Strings? I, I think Billy's great. I think Billy has done something really great for bluegrass guitar in that he has taken it to not the bluegrass world yeah we we grassers like to keep things to ourselves mm -hmm. it's almost like um like this like fraternal order or ownership or something mm -hmm. and billy has taken it to deadheads mm -hmm. you know it's like it's the closest thing to what david grisman and jerry and garcia were doing back in the 70s yeah. i talked to sammy mcateer about that too about uh 
about the the Grisman and and Grateful Dog. Grateful type Dog, stuff. yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and about how some bluegrass purists kind of poo poo it a little bit um, because it's because it might not exactly be what people knew to be bluegrass. <laughs> right, and I think that was far more common in the seventies in general. Like, I don't think new grass revival was welcomed with mm. open arms into the people that, that worshiped flat and scrugs right. and Don Reno. Yeah. Um, however, now it's quite different because of, you know, what Dale McCurry and Traveler McCurry's have done with their brand. And they've embraced all these different formats of bluegrass. Mm. Like, I think that their I think their festivals and their events and their concerts having Billy on it is a big reason Billy spiked popularity yeah you know and mm-hmm. tie-dye shirts and long yeah. hair and covering grateful dead tunes yeah. you know um i think he's great I, I have to give a big shout out to uh trey hensley it, who's that it's from rob ike so it's rob and trey and fabulous fabulous flat top picker jake workman he plays rookie skaggs these are all guys that are like relative to our age you know mm-hmm. and uh just doing really great things with with bluegrass guitar. Molly Tuttle is another one I would really I know that name. Yeah. Molly is a great, um, David Greer esque mm. style player where it's almost like the melody and the cross picking and the rhythm are intertwined. Gotcha. Like you can just hear Molly play by herself and it's really magic. It's and like Dave Greer, you know, gotcha. All those are flat pickers that you just all, mentioned. All flat pickers. Yeah. That might be my favorite kind of, you know, bluegrass acoustic, uh, Guitar man, it's just such a such a distinct sound, and like like you say, it, with the sustain on an electric guitar, I think it was Derek Trucks who said like the most technical player is not the best player in the world. That's right. You know, he said I've seen BB King have somebody on stage that just yeah, you know yeah. tears it up, and then BB plays one note and, and it's, just it's, the most slays him dead. Yeah, right. And and it's it's in delivery, right? And I think that's what we all look for is something that makes it an emotional connection to us. And I think what BB King could do with one note, I think Eddie Van Halen could do with eruption. Mm. And and one of the, I just saw a photo of them hanging out day before yesterday. Really? Yes. Really great photo. And a lot of these photos have been coming to light. Um, Same with Tony Rice. Like when Tony Rice came out, bluegrass guitar wasn't very much of a lead Mm -hmm. instrument. Like maybe Charlie Waller, maybe before Tony um, Clarence, maybe, but like Tony really was the one that like made it like a superstar lead instrument. Right. And Tony was a noty player. Yeah. He played a lot of notes. And, but, but the caveat is Tony had that thing that spoke to everyone and you, it's almost like an intangible thing. Like there's how many, God knows how many lesson tutorials there are on YouTube, how many channels like Cham play and true fire. We can learn how to play guitar. But one thing you can't learn how to do is to, uh, transcend your instrument and turn it into a voice that speaks to someone else mm. on an emotional subconscious level. Mm. Derek Trucks, BB King, mm-hmm. Clapton, the greats, Brent Mason, like they all have that thing. And, uh, once you know where to put your fingers, you realize how low on the mountain you really are. <laughs> like that just gets you on the mountain. Exactly. You know, the rest of the mountain is trying to figure out what to say. Yeah. I compared it to a student the other day. The student was really wanting to learn all this stuff. And I was like, well, what is it that you're not able to say? And I had him just keep breaking down. I was like, okay, mm. just play, 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 play me four notes and tell me a story. He's like, no, 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 I need more. I was like, no, you don't. You don't because 
You don't, you know what I mean? And so I told the student the other day, I was like, let's talk, let's look at it this way. If you had all the money in the world, like let's say you were Elon Musk rich and you were so rich that you built your own car line and so rich that from there you started a space program and you launched your own car into space. Let's say you're that rich. (laughs) What would you go buy? Because now nothing's off limits. Now compare that to your musical abilities. Hmm. If you could literally play anything, you could blast out Rachmaninoff on every instrument. Let's say you were unsealing, no roof on the technical ability, your prowess. What would you choose to play then? You know, and that gets into a very existential question about like, well, where did Layla come from? Because it's quite simple. <laughs> you know, where where did uh, Melissa by the Almond Brothers? Mm-hmm. These are great moments in music, like like Pinnacle Mountain, uh, uh, Ray Annan by Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. You know, these are pinnacle moments in musical history that don't require that level of facility. So you have to think about it like that. Like it's more important what you choose to say than what you can say. What is it? Like Travis Wyrick said, T-O-N-E tone. That's that's what, you know. I think that's only one part of it. To me, music is made up by tone and or sound, right? Mm-hmm. The tone of something. This, two different tones, mm-hmm. right? It's made up of tone. It's made up of rhythm and it's made up of harmony. You can't have just one of them mm. to me. To so me, what's the transcendent part? Though I, I mean, think that's the the human aspect when you can truly see an individual in their play. Mm-hmm. I think that's very much like art. You think vocals are the same way too? Yeah, absolutely. I think everything is. I think the voice is just another instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at a Spielberg film, let's go back to him. Mm-hmm. It's got that familiarity. There's something in Spielberg's work that makes it immediately. You're just like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. Spielberg. Yeah. Same way with uh, Van Gogh, you know, or any painter from across history that we look up to. They transcended their medium, Mm -hmm. really. And there's no way to put that into a vernacular or grammar. Like, you can't do it. You just know it when it's there. Yeah. And I think that's where artists tend to go off into hippy-dippy land and people are like, get a real job. You know, it's like it's because we're looking for something that's on on another plane of connection. Right. Mm -hmm. And your answer for what makes it the thing and what makes you feel something is going to be completely different than mine. It's mm-hmm. going to be completely different than Wirex because we're all going to get that feeling when it happens, but the same person may not give it to us. Mm. Makes good sense. Do you feel like you've found your voice, your vision, or your, do you feel like you found it or are you still searching for it? I think I'll always search for it. Okay. With that said, I think I have embraced what makes my music mm. my music. Yeah. If you listen to my first record outside of one or two traditional songs that are played on the mandolin, everything else was played at a very complicated level for the sake of complexity. Mm. There was tunes in time signatures of 11. They were being played through diminished scales the entire time. Almost like I was trying to prove myself to my peers, right. rite of passage type stuff. And I was like, look at all this stuff that I can do. However, my most recent album is the one that's most well-received. And, and I used to kind of try to tuck away the bluegrass and the country influences and be like, no, 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 I can do all, I can do so much more than that. And like, I've realized that embracing those bluegrass and country influences, even if there's distortion and it's on a rock and tune, that's where my voice lies. And I think, 
embracing that Eddie Van Halen and Tony Rice <laughs> unity is like what is where I live. Now, with that said, I'm, I'm always going to look for a way to get better at that delivery, you know? Yeah. You teach too quite a bit, right? I'm not or a used teacher. To? I'm not a teacher. Are you a guru? Are you a guitar guru? I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's a tricky question because I, I make make courses for companies like True Fire. Gotcha. And yeah, you mentioned that some of these manufacturers hire you. Is that what they hire you to do? Yeah. So I have an endorsement with several manufacturers, and usually what that turns into is, you know whether it be a revenue share on products sold or signature product or, you know, whatever. It's like at that point in turn, I'm doing videos and trade shows and, you know, repping the brand, right. you know, accordingly. And that's a whole different conversation. But True Fire is a, is a company in Florida that they make, you know, tuitional stuff. And it's great. It's multi-camera angle. They do the tablatures. You could slow it down. You could do all this stuff. And I do take private students in, uh, you know, online, like zoom Skype style students. Um, but they're booked a la carte because I, I don't teach a lot. And, mm. and if so, and, and I charge a lot because that time that I'm devoting to a master class mm -hmm. is time that I could be putting into an album or some other form of, you know, it's look, it's looking for it. Yeah. yeah. It's opportunity cost. Yeah. It's opportunity cost. <laughs> so with that said, if someone wants to pay my rate, which is higher than, you know, most uh, or, or higher than one would expect. Right. If someone wants to pay that, then I try to give them everything I can. Yeah. You know what I mean? And really help them out. But it's weird because I don't consider myself a teacher. I right. consider myself an artist first. Sure. Yeah. Gotcha. What about the uh, what about the guitar camp that you did last yeah. summer? The Woodshed Guitar Experience. It was. uh <sighs> It kind of happened because, again, to not be a teacher, I have this I have this rule of don't teach kids. Mm. Like I just it's just a flat rule. I do not teach kids. Have a guy come to me. He's like, oh, my son, you know, Hudson is getting into uh, guitar and he loves. You know, I was like, oh, I'm the I'm not the guy, man. I'm gonna yell at him. And, it's John McCready. Yes, yeah, John yeah. McCready. I was like, I'm I'm definitely not the guy. And he goes, uh, I was like, what's he listening to? And he's like, he listens. You know, he's really into. Bonamassa and I was like, okay. He's really into, uh, uh, you know, BB King. I was like, Freddie King. I was like, okay. So this kid likes stuff that's not just flash in the pan, popular today, gone tomorrow type of music. That intrigued me. And so I started working with Hudson. And of course, it went exactly like I said. Like, I was like, you don't practice, you don't do this. Yeah. Like, what, what are we doing? You know, it's yeah. like you're not applying yourself. I'll hang out with you, but like, this is like, we're talking about what we, so it was, it started like that. And then a year later, Hudson has really developed as a player mm. and it's been nice to watch him, you know, develop in the meantime, in that course, John's like, man, you should do a camp, you know, it's like, you'd be great at it. And I was like, I don't even know. That was, nah. I, I, I do camps when people hire me, right? Like I'm right. doing one with John Petrucci from dream theater and I've done camps with other, other companies and stuff. I was like, it's not for me. That's not a thing that I'm into. And John was like, well, what would it take? And I was like, well, first of all, it'd have to be a lineup that nobody would expect. It's like, it'd have to be guys that I, that are only important to me. Mm. I was like, the only way I'll do this is if it's selfish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes sense. I was like, I'm only, I was like, I'd only do this if it's something I would go see. A lot of times camps 
whether like Steve Kaufman and Maryville does a camp, it's only bluegrass guys. And it's amazing. It's the best, but like, it's only bluegrass guys. I was like, my lineup is going to be all over the place. I was like, I'm going to have, you know, and John's like, well, who would be the lineup? I was like, Brent Mason has to be there. (laughs) I was like, I'd want Bonamassa to represent the blues and and the evolution and the tone thing. I was like, I want Andy, Andy Timmons because he's got the tone of the gods. I was like, Mark Letary's playing all this funk stuff with snarky puppy. I was like, I want Greg cock because he can, I was like, I want all these guys that don't go together. John's like, all right, let's make it happen. (laughs) I was like, you got to be careful talking to that guy. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, let's make it happen. So, Come to find out there was a lot of people that wanted that lineup yeah. and it was a big success. We had a great time. All the, all the artists had a great time. We had an amazing house band. Uh, we had, you know, great sound, great production, of course. And, and everyone, it was three day event. It's out in uh, middle Tennessee and we're looking at what the possibilities of doing it again are going to be. Yeah. So what did it look like? How many kids ca- or was it kids or adults? It was majority adults. Okay. With a couple of outliers of kids. Okay. How many people came? In the 60s. Wow. But we, I mean, we had to be very careful yeah. because of Cove. Yeah. But we, it, it was outdoors, right? Yeah. And and there was three, like, stages. If you've ever been to Merle Fest, it was like Merle Fest, but smaller. Okay. Like three stages and three areas. And we had, the, the instructors had to do it in cycles. So we taught classes of like 10 or 15 people. Gotcha. And we taught the same class. What an opportunity of a lifetime for these campers. Oh, it's unbelievable. What an opportunity for all of us. That's one thing we were saying. We we were all hanging out one night, just the guitar players. And, you know, it's, if you know, Greg Cock, he's got this huge personality and this big, you know, comedic way. And Mark and I and Joe and Brent and Andy, we're like, we should, why aren't we paying to be here? This is amazing. (laughs) You know, it's like, because we all say the same things. Usually when you're put on a festival, it's like, all right, it's this kind of artist and you're here because you can do this kind of thing. And right. there it was like the differences were being celebrated mm. in the music, Yeah, you know, and that's what was the most fun. And, and in that on one of the things that I said, I was like one night, everybody has to play three or four of their signature songs in a concert format, because I would be mad if I came, I would be mad if I came to see Brent Mason and he didn't play Hotwired. I'd be right. like, play like, I want the one that, yeah. you know, same with like Andy Timmons and he didn't play cry for you. I'd be like, so one night everybody plays your signature tunes. The night that's before that, I said, we all get on stage like a bar gig and we call out the songs and we just jam. <laughs> they were like, that sounds awesome. So did you have, who was playing drums and bass and all that stuff? Do you drummer was a guy named Jim Riley. He's been on the cover of modern drummer gosh, five or six times. So you had some, you you had some other instrumentalists there, not just guitarists. And studs, man, like just studs. Like Adam Nitty was on bass and he's one of the fusion pie, like primo fusion players, Travis toy on steel and banjo. And, uh, it was, it was unreal. Like I I was like, I'm on stage playing white room with Greg (laughs) cock. And like, and then we did never make you move too soon with Joe Bonamassa. I was like, this is awesome. You know? So yeah, that's super super cool, man. And so the, and so it was infectious. That's one thing that Joe said to me. He was like, you know, the energy from watching all of the players watch each other was like so infectious to the Mm. crowd because they could see how, again, I think that's that intent that ties into what we're talking about earlier, that intangibility. That's what made the bluegrass stuff so special. When yeah. it was Tony Rice and Sam Bush and stuff, they were like, holy cow, we're so good. You know, it's like they're, they're stunned at yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And when you watch, you know, Brent Mason take a 
chicken picking solo, you're just <laughs> a jaw on the ground, you know? So do you think that, I mean, like this podcast has strangely benefited from COVID and people like you being able to be available to come over, yeah. you know, because they're not traveling. Do you think you, some of that happened with the, uh, with the uh, guitar camp? with the uh, I don't know. I don't know because I actually think that if we allowed more, it you, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I think the, uh, with the COVID thing, the reason I think all digital mediums increased in views and eyeballs and stuff being on it, you know, not just this pod, I'm not just quote unquote podcast. I think right. that's probably ties into like literally yeah. every form of digital medium. I mean, like last year, you know, you look at video game views and revenue mm -hmm. was through the roof. Like Fender had a record year of guitar sales. Really? Like, how is that possible? It's yeah. because everybody's stuck at home. Everybody's well, glued to their screens. And I guess what I mean is like Eric Baker would usually be on tour and not able to come over here and sit sure. down. And Chris Blue, for instance. And then uh, there's a guy. Well, you could do these things remote at that point. I know, but I don't really want to. Like it's some of the podcasts. That's on you. I know. <laughs> I know. And it's a quality thing. And 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 that's a bigger conversation. But like there's some podcasts that I listen to. It's two people having a phone conversation. And I'm just pulled out of it immediately. Yeah, usually. I won't say usually. One of the things that I make sure when I do the remote type of hang mm -hmm. in any format is that the audio is great. Yeah. And and the good thing with dealing with guitar nerds is usually they've got the, the gear. Yeah, they, they've got the gear, yeah. you know, and they know how to use yeah. it. I, de I definitely wouldn't be like, Hey Eric, man, what kind of interface are you using for your, uh, you know, reverb bus? So, yeah. you know, so Eric would be like, I, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love him though. I, we, we, Eric and I usually chit chat, um, you know, once a month or so, just, just small talk and hope you're doing well. I talked to him, I guess, right before Christmas and and he touched base and, you know, I saw Cruz not too long ago. It's like, you're saying it's like, everybody's just kind of, yeah. Yeah. And kind of around. Yeah. Know? I had all those guys over like right in a row, um, right. Just kind of in the thick of quarantine and they're like, now's a great time to do it. I, yeah, don't, exactly. I can't be on the road. And I don't know. Has that been a, has that been tough to, to not have the Extremely. touring, the touring stuff? Going? Yeah. I didn't realize how much of my mental health was on mm. making something that's not normal, the norm. I mean, I've toured professionally God, seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's like, when I say professionally, I don't mean like in a van touring professionally. I mean like on a bus, like right. mega tours, yeah. like rascal flats. <laughs> yeah. All those big, big tours. I mean like, God, I mean, there's been five or six artists that I've toured with and then my own stuff. So it's like <sighs> that interaction on a, I would even say weekly basis. If I only got to play one or two shows a week, that interaction to an audience and delivering something live and organic in the moment that can't be recreated, that wasn't punched in, that mm -hmm. wasn't edited. That thing was so therapeutic to me. No matter what would be going on in my life, no matter what kind of problems the real world would present, I would, that was always like this escape. And not being able to do that has been very challenging. Now, yeah. I don't want to sound like it's poor, pitiful me, but right. like, it, yeah, I mean, I guess just to be very honest, it's like, yeah, that can really wreck your mental health. You know, you think about what COVID has done to everyone's mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember seeing the numbers of like domestic violence goes up. You know, because I mean, you yeah, got think people are sitting around drinking their blues away, yep. and like, gosh, could you imagine if you, you know, healthcare worker and you're 
pulling these 18 hour shifts. Right. I mean, like, yes. Yeah, so people definitely have way bigger fish to fry than I do. But when you ask about, has it affected me? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where I've delved into creation and at making albums. I've got enough songs. It's like, now I don't know what to do because I've got four albums worth of songs. Really? And I just don't know what to, it's like. That's great. Yeah. But it's like, I'm ready to get in a studio and the way I like to record is more organic. You know, I don't want to do it remotely. I've talked to musicians that have had the opposite of, of being able to put together, put together a back catalog during COVID or being able to get inspired to make music too. So that's awesome to see that it has enabled you and emboldened you to create and create more instead of stymied you. That's a choice. I really, I really believe this not to discount anyone who approaches life differently, but I think that happiness and to me making stuff, making music is, is a big part of my happiness. Mm. I think that's a choice. You wake up every day, you choose to go down and put your butt in the seat. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the thing is, is like we get in our own heads, whether it be a, any, any, any line of work, we get in our own heads about everything has to be the most amazing thing ever. You know, it's like, nah, dude, just record 50 demos. And if they're 30 seconds long, then you've got 50 choruses. Mm-hmm. You choose from that. You know, and I talked to Dave Kennedy, he and I do the Kennedy Wood Band together. Unfortunately, that was hit really hard. We were at the end of, or we were going into 2020 looking really good. Really? You know? Oh man, that band was, was poised it was your year yeah we had um just done a huge festival uh down in florida and we were booking agents had already bought dates and for festivals Mm. and we were we were set and anyways dave was like look let's let's do another kennedy wood record let's write and on the first writing session he was like i ain't writing no sad stuff Mm. he's like the world has plenty of it every record's gonna come out and be gloom and doom and sad you know, that new Taylor Swift record is brilliant, but it's also like, oh, it's just a downer. Yeah. It's just like, it hurts. It's like, you know, I was, and Dave's like, we're writing feel good stuff. And we both were like, what's the influence? And Dave's like, I want Doobie Brothers, Leonard Skinner's Little Feet. And I was like, yeah, because <laughs> it feels good. Yeah. Because that music feels good, you know? And he asked what I wanted. I was like, man, I just want the opportunity for the arrangements not to have to be in pop country format mm. and he's like what do you mean i was like well look at blue sky by the almond brothers from melissa just random guitar solos wherever there's mm-hmm. the, the the form can be what it needs to be mm-hmm. you know and so we we've got enough material it's like all we have to do is just put some lyrics to a couple more tunes and we could go in the studio and knock it out but that's not really available right now mm-hmm. you know in the way that i like to record what other projects uh you got solo stuff. You've got the Kennedy Wood stuff. Any other projects? Yeah, sessions. I mean, like I, I mm. play on sessions a lot. So I actually is a lot of that work remote. Yeah. Okay. And I think the industry has embraced it a lot more. Em- embrace yeah. the the trust to to the players without having a producer in the room. Or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. That. So I, you know, I had a couple of cool sessions. Got to play on um, some pop country. I don't know if I'm at liberty to say because I don't know if the records are even sure. Yeah, but some high level artist and awesome. uh got to play on the new Liam Neeson movie do oh, did the nice. guitars for that so so did some like scoring no it wasn't scoring it was tunes that okay. were that were going to be like the featured tunes nice yeah so i got to do some guitars for that however i did get to do the score uh last year with Jay DeMarcus 
Um, he he's done the scores for some of those real campy, uh, like like Sharknado type yeah. movies. I got to do one where the wrestlers are. Uh, they, they get bitten. They take steroids, turns them into zombies. Nice. So I got to just do seven string chugging and wah and Tom Morello sounds. So are you watching the screen yeah. and, and laying and it, down tracks? And it was Is that so, fun? It was so challenging because typically you have a, a click track. Yeah. And this is like, all right, when he punches that guy, that's, wow. that's when we start to, you know, yeah. so that was, you know, you're playing out of time. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of seems like a different, uh, a different kind of discipline. And I know that, that a lot of, uh, that a lot of actors also, um, used to get hired because of their, their looping work or, uh, or their, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, when they have to come back in and, and do the voice that they did before. I can't believe I'm blanking on that. Like what's it called? Voice, voice over? ADR, ADR, <laughs> audio, yeah, yeah. audio dialogue replacement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but a, a lot of actors, get work because they're good at that part of it, yeah. which is coming back in and, and you're not working any, any kind, any, you know, any kind of click, any kind of uh, framework. You're just intuitively know when to make the sound or yeah. when to, that's, and I, I would think that would be the same with, uh, with music. It's, it's different when you're not playing to a click or playing with a band. Yeah. You're, it was super funny too, because the movie on on screen that we were playing to is like is zombie wrestlers. <laughs> so just outside, there, you just something would happen, you just start laughing. You're just yeah. like, well, but it, that was cool. Um, as far as other projects, man, I, I mean, I'm doing as much as we all can. I think I'm I'm fortunate that I've got enough to keep. Yeah, like I'm having I'm having to tell people no. You really? know, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. So, so that's that's a good thing. But it doesn't make the year any better. Right. Like I lost two of my heroes. You know. Yeah. Who are they? Uh, Eddie Van Halen yeah. and Tony Rice. You know. Really. And then guys that I looked up to, like Joe Diffie died, and I can't mm. tell you how many Joe Diffie records I went through listening to Brent Mason solos. Really. Yeah, I did a whole episode on Joe Diffie on on YouTube. Really. Yeah, for the guitar players that didn't realize that the guitar playing is white hot. You really? know, in those records. Yeah. And. uh you know, so both of those guys that you mentioned, uh, Eddie Van Halen and Tony Rice, I didn't realize, and it's a shame, but I didn't realize how many people that both of those guys influenced and affected until they died, yeah. you know, and then you start to see like people I had no idea even knew who Tony Rice was yeah. that really respected and looked up to the guy. Yeah, absolutely. I hate that. That's what it takes sometimes. Well, that, and I think, uh, with Tony, he was in a different level than Ed because the nature of Tony's genre almost garnered that kind of cork sniffer approval. Mm. Oh, he was an acoustic player with mm. a finesse. And and I think, in my opinion, a lot of people blow off Ed as like, oh, it's hair metal. Yeah. The reality is, is Ed did Ed's got more in common with Les Paul, really. Mm. Because you look at Literally anybody that plays a Stratocaster style guitar with a humbucker in the bridge, that's Ed Van Halen. Hmm. Literally any amp that has high gain distortion, Ed Van Halen. Like he did it with a Variac that you control the really? wattage. The voltage. Yeah. The voltage. Yeah. yeah. He put that on the amp and turned the Variac down to like 80 volts, 85 volts. Really? And it would allow the amp to saturate more. Hmm. And so. <laughs> any, any, literally any rock band after that, any manufacturer. Like you're talking companies that have Mesa Boogie. Yeah. No Mesa Boogie without Eddie Van Halen. So it's innovation. It, it truly is. 
So it's like you can't lump those guys in with just hair metal when they're when when engineering. Yeah. yeah, Engineering innovation um, from from the here's the other thing that I say is like with every guitar player that came after Ed Guthrie Govan, Steve Vai, anybody like there's things that we all take for granted that nobody made popular till Ed. Right. And here's the other thing. Every sorority girl at University of Tennessee knows jump. Yeah. The moment the keyboards start. Sure. That's that's that transcends, hey, I'm really good at an instrument. Mm-hmm. Like once it's like genuine pop culture, it's like a whole nother level. You know what I mean? So I feel like there's for as much uh credit as Ed gets, I still think he's underrated. I still think it's not enough credit. Like to watch the VMAs air, we were talking about this outside a month after he dies and they don't even acknowledge it. Really? was unbelievable to watch MTV VMAs. Like your whole channel of MTV was built on the video to Panama. Yeah. (laughs) That seems like a blind spot there that they didn't include. You didn't have 30 seconds of somebody. However, on Saturday Night Live, the week that Ed dies, Jack White plays an Eddie Van Halen guitar mm. and had just a few seconds of tapping. Mm-hmm. We're talking Jack White, mm-hmm. the guy that would be the antithesis to the Van Halen. But he knows that like none of it happened without Ed. And I think on the bluegrass side of it, Tony was to bluegrass guitar what Ed was electric guitar. Like nobody played that. Now, now it's like it's like they're everybody sounds like each other, but nobody sounds like Tony. That is very interesting to say that because that's right. Yeah. It seems kind of homogenous. Yeah. You, uh, my stepdad says that, uh, Tony Rice impersonators are like Elvis impersonators. Like they all sound like each other, but none of them sound like Elvis, <laughs> you know? And, and, and I'm guilty of it too. I'm, I'm fortunate enough that like songbirds down in Chattanooga, the museum, they called me, they want me to come down tomorrow and film. They're doing a Tony Rice memorial thing where like they're getting all these old pre-war Martins out and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to play some Tony Rice licks and not sound like Tony. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think that that is something that I adore, not something that I loathe. Yeah. It just shows that it's not in the notes. Everybody can learn the notes. It's just, <laughs> he sounded the way he did when he played it, you know? It'll always be a mystery to me because it is intangible. It's like intangible. What, what the transcendent part of it. But you got me thinking about it a lot. What else? You got anything else fun coming up we need to know about? Yeah, I had a, I mean, last year I could talk about all the things that didn't happen yeah. that are supposed to happen. This year, hopefully, we'll, you know, if, if we can get a wrangle as a society, as a world global society on Cove. Um, last year, I, I was scheduled to go to Corfu, Greece, and, 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 there was a blues festival in Italy that I was playing and all those things are like, well, we're going to put them, we're going to put them in 21. We'll Hopefully just swap the year. We'll just, we'll just switch the year. Out. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, for any mega guitar nerds, I am doing the John Petrucci guitar universe uh, in, uh, in Irvine in May. As of now, mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. It's January, but that's going to be amazing because John Petrucci dream theater. If you play guitar, like legend you know what i mean it's like and he's having all these like really ripping players come but there's a gypsy jazz player joshua stefan and uh he's incredible he's gonna be there i'm really excited about that john john loves lots of different styles of music mm. so he's got a lot of different styles players mateus asado is going to be there he's like neo soul kind of player and i'm representing i guess the southern southern side of things i love yeah, it yeah so i'm i'm 
glad to send you as our representative. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it I hope it all picks back up and you can keep getting out there. But it sounds like you've you found a a, a way to way to stay warm. Yeah, in, in the meantime, that's right. Yeah. I, I hope it does. Um, not just for me, but for the the fan of going to see an event. Mm. Like, I can't go see any shows. Mm -hmm. That sucks. I like live shows. I'm, me not, too. I'm not even talking about like me going to play them. Right. Like, there's no concerts this year. Yeah. It really sucks. Yeah. I, 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 I try not to play the, the violin uh, too, too much over it, but man, live music is my favorite biggest hobby going yeah. to see live music. And I really miss it. And, and I know that I have to say, okay, it's got to suck way worse for the artists because it's just a hobby for me. They don't get to do their, you know, their livelihood or whatever, but I do miss it. And, and it's been the hardest hit industry easily with, with, I mean, restaurants, a close second restaurants are still open That's <laughs> a, the a little bit. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. And I think I, I, I wouldn't, and I'm using the proverbial you, not the literal you, but yeah. like maybe it applies to the literal you. <laughs> I'm saying don't sell yourself short on saying it's way worse for the musician. Cause it's not way worse for the musician. It's way worse for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's way worse for everybody. Who's not getting to experience that transcend transcending thing that, <laughs> that a guy on stage is doing a thing and it's touching someone in the audience. Like yeah. that's, that takes both parties. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I want to be in the audience. Like, you know, when my favorite artists, when the Foo Fighters come to town, I'm at the Coliseum. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and and that's the same for, you know, Eric Johnson or Sam Bush come to the Bijou. I'm at the Bijou, you know, it's like, let's, let's do this, you know? And that's, I want that to come back for the truest, honest reasons. Mm -hmm. and, and hoping I've got fingers crossed that it will put more value on it when it does return. I think people are realizing that a live stream ain't the same thing. Dude, I watched Marcus King and I adore Marcus at King. At the Smoky Stadium? I watched the live stream that was before the one, the one he oh, did okay. in Nashville. Oh, okay. And I was like, this guy rules. Mm -hmm. I wish I was seeing it in person. Yeah. You know, it's like he gets done playing and there's crickets. Yeah. That's it's weird. That's weird. And, and I can tell you, I can't answer for Marcus, but I can answer for myself. I can't play nearly with the authenticity without an audience. Mm. And I've done the streaming concerts for various websites and stuff. They've yeah. been awesome. And lots of viewers, lots of clicks, lots of upvotes. Mm -hmm. But that upvote, man, that's not the same. Right. Dude. Like, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge, uh, I'm not a diehard fish guy. They're one of my favorite bands to listen to and to go see. Uh, but uh, I, I have heard Trey Anastasio talk about that a, a lot, which is, you know, we can't do it without a crowd. You know, we, we're giving them something. They're giving it right back. That's right. Where do you stand on, on that guy? Trey? Yeah. I mean, he just like that sentence right there. I, it makes me, I back him 1000%. I could care less if he's good or bad or it's like, he gets it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As far as a player, obviously he's amazing. It's like, He's obviously amazing, mm -hmm. but to me, the perspective is that's what matters. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and because hot licks are just hot licks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not to blow them off and not, right. say, but, but you, you realize just truly how many phenomenal freak show players there are in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, 
yeah, it may be 0.001% of the population that can play at that level. But when you're at that level, it's like, well, everybody's good. Now what? <laughs> it's like, we're all here. You know? You're Elon Musk level at yeah, that well, point, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like if everybody's there, you get more concerned with what their energy is, what their show is, what the, like you've got the horsepower. What do you do with it? Yeah. You know, it's like you forget that everyone who drives a Formula One car, if there's 150 drivers out there, you forget that everyone there is better than the rest of the world right. that, at driving. Yeah. And the NFL, like everybody's an armchair quarterback, but you forget that like that's the point zero 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 one percent of humanity yes. playing that game. Yes. And so like <laughs> there's seven billion people on the planet. <laughs> and there and there's you know, that those those handful of franchises that represent it's like, yeah, they're the best in the world. So like when you think about and it's funny, guitar players are the world's worst to be like, oh, Luca, they're so much better than Ed. Oh, you know, Billy Strings has taken it so much farther than so-and-so. It's like, yeah. why are we doing this? It's like, yeah. you do realize that this is like such a small fraction of humanity that's ever lived that can play at that level. Right. So I think when you ask me what my thoughts are on someone like Trey, not yeah. even Trey specifically, it's like, yeah, obviously he's great. Like, <laughs> that's a given. You know, yeah. for me, when I think of bands in that realm – that I really adore. It's not a band. It's a guy. It's Jimmy Herring that plays for widespread panic. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've adored Jimmy's playing for years, mm -hmm. uh, going back to Colonel Bruce Hampton. Yeah. And, and what was the uh, frog frog wings? Was that a song or, a, or a album or a group? I've got, I've got, you know, stuff that came to me that's bootlegged and well, you have no idea what to what it yeah. means. <laughs> it's just got the random just words, like, written random on words. It. It's yeah. like, okay, this could have been well, what that's I had for like, lunch. I don't know. <laughs> That's the whole Athens scene, right? The, uh, like NRBQ and uh, Widespread Panic. I guess REM was around the same time. Different, different style, obviously. But that yeah. whole that whole crowd, Colonel Bruce. Yeah. Colonel How about Bruce. the way that guy kicked the bucket? Everybody thought it was fake. My friend, I, my yeah. friend Amel Wurstler was on stage with him. Really? Yeah. And Mike Seal. Do you know Mike? I've heard of Mike. I don't know him, but yeah, Mike's great. Um, I'll connect you to Mike. He's yeah, great. absolutely. You'd love to have him on here. He's a great finger style player. I think Mike was at the gig. Really? I think. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, Colonel Bruce had guys like Sean Lane with him. Steve Morris was in Colonel Bruce. It's like mm -hmm. the guitar players that he had. You're just like it is a lot like for the jam scene. Colonel Bruce was like the Merle Haggard of the jam scene <laughs> because everybody that Merle had as a guitar player was freak show. Yeah. Like Roy Nichols, Clint Strong. It's like everybody that played for Merle was fabulous. Just like Colonel Bruce. It's like Colonel Bruce is a great player, but hey, by the way, check out this Steve Morse guy. Yeah. Surrounded himself with all stars. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Andy, I got to get you on the road, man. You got a session this afternoon. I have a session this afternoon. I could sit and talk guitar for weeks at a time. Well, I have to say that uh, after hearing your name and, and digging into you lately, it's... Uh, it's an honor to have you come over, man. Oh, dude, I really appreciate it. It's fun for me to be here. Good. I appreciate you doing it, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon or I'd, sometime. I'd love that, yeah. dude. Cool. I'd love that. Thank you. Thank you, man. How'd we do, guys? That was amazing. That dude knows his stuff. And watching him play is is amazing. Go to Andy Wood Music, check out all of his stuff, YouTube, go to his website. It's all there. He's just, he's hes a treasure. We're lucky to have him. Thank you guys for listening to the show. Support us on Patreon at South of Scruffy. Keep the lights on here for us. If you're looking, if you're in the giving mood. Uh, also, 
Instagram at South of Scruffy. Interact with us there. We're building that up a little bit too. So thanks for being here. Thanks for checking it out. Love you guys. Take care. Matt Honkinen. Play me out.